Well, my wife uh, is a teaches at a private Christian school, right, Sharon? That's what you do. I won't name the school for you know protected springs. And um, there were a couple of boys in her class, and they had been misbehaving, so she sent them to the principal's office. And uh, really, what the principal knew is that these kids actually needed God. That's why they were at a private Christian school. And um, so she brought the first boy in into the class and sat him down. She said, I need to ask you a question, son. You know, where is God? And now the kid's totally frightened because here's the principal in his face. And he's scared to death by the question. He didn't, doesn't know how to answer. He thinks it's a tr trick question. He just sat there. And so she asked him the question four times. Do you, where is God? Where is God? I want you to think about that question, she goes on to add. And so, you know, he's paralyzed with fear. He doesn't say anything. So she sends him out. And the second boy is about to come in and ask the first boy. He goes, what's up? And the first kid says, I don't know, but evidently God is missing. And they're trying to blame it on us. It actually goes with my message. I'm just really surprised with that. Sorry, Sharon, would you like to preach? She, she's telling me, what? Not what's not true. You don't. You always send kids to the principal's office. You're a music teacher. <laughs> My music teacher used to send me to the principal's office all the time. Hey, if we're gonna have this conversation, baby, you gotta bring it out there. <laughs> and for my wife's sake, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity that we can just come and talk and uh, be with people to worship. But most importantly, just to hear what you have to say through us. So as your vessel, um, as your mouthpiece, I would pray that uh, your words would flow, your spirit would flow, and uh, you would work in our lives today. We ask this in your name. Amen. So, so often we, like I said before, we bring stuff into this place, and Scripture says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, and yet many times we don't feel free. We feel weighed down, we feel burdened down. It's been a tough week, it's been a tough life. It looks like a tough future ahead. I don't even want to face tomorrow. And uh, a lot of people actually feel like that on a Sunday. And some people have a hard time even rolling themselves out of bed. And so, uh, you know, we felt that we needed to begin a new series called The Door to Freedom. And we're continuing to talk about how to handle and overcome the hurts that we have in our life, the habits that you know, are messing us up in our life or the hang-ups that maybe have caused us pain in our life. And so the reason we're doing this series is actually a precursor for the launch of our new ministry called Celebrate Recovery, uh, which will begin probably sometime in March. And now, you know, I've had a little help from my close friend and BFF, Rick Warren, in writing these Life Lessons series. And uh, so the next few weeks, it may be just for you or it may be for a family member or or a friend, and that's why I'm trying to challenge all of you uh, to use nine easy words for the next few weeks. And that is, would you like to come to church with me? And I know some of you are counting that, but it, trust me, that's nine words. So don't assume that people are going to say no when you do the invitation, because when you're asking questions like this, uh, it tells people that you're interested in their, their life. And there are people in your world who need to hear these messages. Bring them. Guide them to the podcast. Do you realize that in our culture, people's first entrance into any church is through the web? Think about that. 
Our foundational text for the series is Isaiah 57, 18. With God speaking, he says, I've seen how they've acted, but I will heal them. I will lead them and I will help them and I will comfort those who mourn and I offer peace to all near and far. And this is um, a great promise of God. And you'll notice that there are five areas in which God wants to actually address in our lives. Uh, the first is if you've been hurt, God says, I want to heal you. If you've been confused, he says, I want to lead you. If you ever felt that you were helpless to change anything, God says in this passage, I want to help you change that. If you ever felt no one understands your problems, he says, I want to comfort you. And if you feel anxious or worried or uh, afraid, he says, I want to offer peace to you. And so we got to remember that as our foundational aspects. And so I want to do a brief review of last week. And, you know, if you were here, I asked, you know, I said all of us need recovery because none of us are perfect. Do you remember that clearly? And the, the fact is, life is tough at times, is it not? We live in an imperfect world. We've all been hurt. We all have hang-ups. We all have some sort of habits that we'd like to change. And everybody needs recovery. And when it comes to getting better, the, the steps are the same, of, you know, regardless of what your problems are. And you know, so whether it's a hurt, whether it's a hang-up or a habit. And we talked about last week that the root cause of all of this is my desire to control things around me. And we want to be God. And the more insecure you and I are, the more that you want to control things. You want to control your life. You want to control other people's lives. You want to control your environment. You want to be God. And you want to be at the center of your universe. And so when we try to control everything, we end up, you know, tired, frustrated, failure, fatigue. You name it, that's where we're at. So how do we break out of that becomes the question. How do you break out of those things? Well, last week we looked at the fact that first we have to get beyond denial. And denial is what keeps us from moving into recovery. You know, we make excuses for ourselves. You know, really, it's no problem. You know, really, I'm fine. No, 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 it's, it's, it's not a problem. I can handle it. Well, if you can handle it, you wouldn't be in it. But we make excuses, and then also we accuse others, right? Well, if my wife would just get her act together, then our marriage would be fine. <laughs> just an example. Um, and we play the blame game, just like back in the beginning of Genesis with Adam and Eve. They were pointing fingers at everybody else. And so we learn to ex accuse and excuse, and, the, and we're very short-sighted in the whole process. And so we, we have to learn then to deal with denial. And then, you know, so what's the remedy to denial? Well, what makes me finally face up to my problems? Can I suggest to you that God's antidote for denial is pain? To which some of you are going, wow, Jerry, thanks. This is really what I want to hear. You know, I'm already in pain, and now you're saying, you know, I, you know, I need to get in line and have some more. Well, let's be honest with, with each other today. We rarely change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. Think about that. We don't change until our fear of change is exceeded by pain. And most people never really move into freedom or recovery until they are forced to move into it because there is no other option. And I'd suggest to you this morning that God uses three circumstances to, that help us break the chains of denial that, that many of us are holding on to. 
You know, God uses these circumstances, if you think about it, to get our attention. And so today may be actually very strong words for some of you to hear, but you need to hear. And sometimes God uses certain circumstances to force us to move into freedom and recovery from things that have really messed up our lives. The first circumstance that God uses is crisis. Things like illness or stress or losing your job. We, we fall into crisis and then we're actually forced to do something. The second one is confrontation. This is interesting because this is where people who genuinely care about you care enough to talk to you. They'll say to you, you know, you're blowing it or you're messing it up or you need to get a grip. These are people who love you enough to confront you in truth and in love. And many times we get our noses out of joint, right? And when, when a confrontation in love takes place, I'm not talking, you know, let's fist, fist it out. I'm talking somebody pulls you aside and says, I care about you. It, you know, you're, you're missing out. Dude, you're about to lose your family. You're about to lose your health. You're about to lose your job. You know, you're about to lose your spouse. Somebody is trying to get your attention type of confrontation. There's a saying that says, if somebody calls you a horse's rear, ignore it. If two people call you a horse's rear, you're supposed to look in the mirror. If three people call you a horse's rear, you're supposed to buy a saddle. If three people call you a workaholic, buy a saddle. If three people call you an addict, buy a saddle. If three people call you an alcoholic, buy a saddle. If three people say to you, you need to get some help, buy a saddle. You with me? And so pain is like this fire alarm in our lives. And it goes off and it's warning you that something is wrong in our life. Sometimes people see that better than we do. But if you had a fire alarm go off in your house, what would you do? Oh, 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 James, that stupid fire alarm, pull out the battery, right? No, you know, make it stop. No, 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 no. You do something about it. If your fire alarm's going off, you're going to do something about it. But often in our life, when, when we hear the pain come out, the fire alarm of pain, instead of just dealing with the source, we try to cover it up. We try to actually eliminate the sound completely. And so we turn up the TV, we turn up the stereo, we turn up the volume of everything else so that we can drown out the sound of pain. So we cover it up, how? With food. We turn up the alcohol, we turn up the sex, we turn up the drugs, and many, many different things on however we cope and use for our coping mechanisms. But it doesn't deal with it. But God is using these things, this fire alarm, this pain, to get our attention. And yet another one that God uses in other circumstances is catastrophe. Now, personally, I hope he doesn't have to use this one in your life. And catastrophe is when the bottom falls out, you know, physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationship, uh, relationally. The bottom falls out and you hit bottom. And that's often when God just has to step back and let us feel the full impact of our own stupid decisions. You want to be God? Okay. And he steps back. You be God. You reap what you sow. And what happens in catastrophes, we feel the full impact that it causes in our life. 
Now, last week we learned that the first step to freedom is to realize that I'm not God. You know, we, we have to come to the place where we actually admit that we are powerless to control our tendency to do the wrong things and that our life is unmanageable. And that also we need help. That's the first step. That's the reality step. I'm not God. I need some help here. The second step is where do I go when I hurt? And that's what I want to talk about today. Where do I go when I hurt? The first step says I admit it. You know, I'm helpless. I'm powerless. The next one says, actually this next one has this hope that there is a power out there to help you. And that's the good news. There's a power that you can plug into and handle things that you cannot handle on your own. And this is where we have to earnestly believe that God uh, exists, if you think about this. We earnestly believe that God exists and that we matter to him and that we recognize that he has the power to help heal me and find freedom and also recover. Listen to what the scripture says in, in Hebrews 11:6. It says, anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So where do you go when you hurt? Well, you should be going to God. That means acknowledging his existence. Now, it's quite possible that most of you here have no problem in this. If you think about this, there was a new survey that shows that Canadians continue to believe in God, but many are indifferent towards organized religion. So in, in this summer, July 8th, the uh, observer, the United Church observer, reported the results of a survey that spotlighted Canadian attitudes towards organized religion. Uh, and they reported here that 50 years ago, the baby boom produced a generation of church-going children, and today, many of the churches that they attended are nearly empty. So these are what we would call the mainline churches in our, in our nation. So anecdotally, we know that our country has become less religious over time. And we wanted to, they go on and say that we wanted to develop a comprehensive set of stats to explain what we're seeing. And so these results give us a more complete picture of where Canadians stand on religion and reveal some assumptions that are simply not true, which I thought was actually quite interesting. So they surveyed 3,000 Canadians in February and in March of 2014, which to me wasn't all that much, but again, they were happy with it. And so amongst the surveys, they found that 7% of Canadians say that they are devoutly religious. I thought that was interesting. 7%. Two-thirds say they believe in God of some sort. Two-thirds of Canadians say they believe in God of some sort. Which I thought, again, interesting. 40% of Canadians think that religion is good for society, while 10% think it's bad. And the rest are non-committal. <laughs> Welcome to Canada. You coming? I don't know. Um, amongst the 10% of Canadians who say that they are against organized religion, more than a third of those say that, you know, that they believe in God. So interesting in our, you know, heathen nation of sorts, you know, the, there is this awareness of who God is. They, they believe in God, a God, gods. There's a belief there. The survey shows us that even though, you know, institutionalized religion may be a turnoff for some people, especially those you know, in the spiritual but not religious crowd, you know who those are, right? I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, right? Okay, whatever. Um, it would be wrong to characterize Canadians as anti-religion, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, there's, there is not so much disdain for organized religion in Canada as there is a degree of indifference. Indifference. 
combined with a lack of knowledge about what defines and shapes many faith communities today. Ask nine easy words. Will you come to church with me? I believe there are far fewer atheists today than there were 40 years ago. It's my belief. I have no stats to prove it. Why? Well, there are a number of different reasons why. I think there are more, the more we know about the universe, you know, we know more now than we did 40 years ago about the universe. Man, 40 years, that's a long time. I'm old. Oh my goodness. Hey. The more scientific discoveries we have, the, the more we find out about this universe. And fewer people are willing to stick their neck out and say, I believe it all just happened by a random accident. You see that in the discussions now in, in the scientific fields. The more we know about this universe, and, and the more we now have these computers that are able to generate the odds of all these things just happening in place, very, people, very few people are saying, I believe it happened by random accident. In fact, it, take, it takes, in my opinion, it takes more faith to, not to believe in a creator than it does to actually believe in one. It takes more faith that the odds are greater that there is no creator, no designer, and that it all just happened by chance. And again, the illustration is we can take a watch completely apart, put it in a paper bag and shake it up, and, you know, and if it came out exactly as the watch that we put in, the odds would be pretty incredible. But that's what they're saying, you know. The world is full of watches. And if you multiply that by, you know, times a zillion, and you get the odds that it's all just happening, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not computing for some people. And so there is this, you know, notion of a creation that there should be a creator. There is an effect that, you know, if there is a cause, an effect, if there is a design, there must be a designer. And that now becomes a hotbed question in our scientific community. And, and, and in fact, the Bible says it's foolish not to believe in God, if you think about it. Irrational, it's illogical, not, not to believe in God. And if you have problems with that, then I'd like to introduce you to Clinton. He would love to take you and take some time to teach you what the Bible says and you know, why there is a strong basis to believe from an intellectual viewpoint the arguments for the existence of God. He would love to do that. So the challenge is out there. And the point is, God changes lives today. God exists. And the re real issue for most is not, is there a God? Because it's a given for most people. The real issue is, what kind of God is he? What is he really like? Does, does it matter? And the problem is we have some very strange ideas about what God is like. And unfortunately, most of us get our ideas of God, about God, by thinking he's like a parent. Your father, your mother, you know, and it's tragic because if your father was aloof and unloving, then you sort of tend to think of God, the father, is aloof and unloving. And if your parent was somebody to be feared, then you think regarding God, I need to be afraid of God. And if your father was ab abusive, then you tend to think that maybe God is abusive. And if your parent was uncaring, your mother was uncaring, then you sort of transfer that over to God. Instead of God making you in his image, you make God in your image. 
every once in a while, yeah, I have these conversations. I hear it in the dressing room at playing hockey. You know, my idea about God is, really, who made you the authority becomes my question. Because just because you have a certain idea about who God is, does that mean it's right? To me, the answer is no. Somebody said, well, I've always thought God of, you know, I, I always thought of God as, and, you know, big deal what you thought. Big deal, seriously. Because you're probably wrong. You know, frankly, I don't care what you conceive God to be. Oh, Jerry, you sound very harsh. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a line. I don't care what you conceive God to be. What I want to know is, is what he's really like. And where do we get this concept of who God is really like? We get it by studying the scriptures and understanding within the cultural context and daily context, and again, big words, expositional context of what scripture is saying of who God really is. You know, it's one thing to acknowledge his existence. It's a whole other thing to understand God's character. What's he really like? And, you know, and until I know what God is really like, you know, can I trust him? Does that make sense? You know, I'm not going to trust someone or something that I don't know about. And fortunately, God wants us to know about what he's like. And so he comes to earth some 2,000 years ago and came in the form of a human being. He came as Jesus Christ. And he said, this is what God is like. And we can know what God is like. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. And that's why we celebrate Easter. And you'll notice in, in a verse in Colossians in the New Testament, it says Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. And if you want to know what God is like, you just take a look at Jesus. And because he's the visible expression of the invisible God. And if you're reading about Jesus and if you're studying about his life, you begin to learn a whole lot about who God is. And specifically three things that, you know, what we learn about God from Jesus is that he helps me get over my habits, my hurts, and my hang-ups. God knows all about my situation because he knows my habits. He knows my hurts. He knows my hang-ups. He knows the good, the bad. And some of you have had a tough week, maybe a tough month, or maybe you just got a tough life. Look at what the Bible says in Psalm 56. It says, you know how troubled I am. You have kept a record of my tears. That's incredible. The Bible says that God knows you and I up close and personal. He's kept a record of our tears. Nobody knows the hell I'm going through in this marriage. Well, you're wrong. God does. Nobody knows how I'm struggling to break this habit, but I can't get it out of my mind. God does. Nobody knows the depression and the fear I'm going through. God does. And he's kept a record of your tears. He notices it all and nothing escapes his eyes. Psalm 31 says, you've seen the crisis in my soul. God is aware of your needs. And the Bible says he knows what you need even before you ask it. He sees the crisis in your soul right now. Psalm 69, you know how foolish I've been. And sometimes we want to forget this part. We don't want God to know all that dumb stuff we do, right? But the fact is there's nothing off the record with God. 
And you always have an audience with them 24 hours a day. He knows the good days, the bad days, the dumb stunts that we've pulled, the foolish decisions, the amazingly wonderful things. He still loves us in spite of it all. And the fact is, God is not shocked by our sin. You know, you do something wrong, God's not there going, oh no, how did I miss that? He knew it was coming long before you and I did. He even knows why you did it. It would motivate you. Even when you don't even know your own motivation, God is never shocked. He is never surprised. He, you know, he's not disappointed. He knows you. You know, some of you need to hear this, that God cares about your situation. Psalm 103, he's like a father to us. He's tender, sympathetic, for he knows what we are made of. Dust. See, God knows we're just molecules put together. We're frail. We're not superhuman. And he's tender and sympathetic. And that's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God who knows you and me. God wants to be the father many of you maybe never had. Tender, sympathetic, and God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Well, how can that be? How can God love me? And, and his love will never quit. Well, he loves me on good days and he loves me on bad days and when I serve him and when I don't and when I'm right and when I'm wrong well how does he you know keep on loving well it's because his love is unconditional it's not based on our performance and so many times we're performance orientated in our love it's based on who God's character is and the Bible says that God is love and he says that I've loved you with an everlasting love and he not only knows your situation, he cares about it and so God showed his great love for us by sending Christ, what? To die for us. And many of you who've worked through the 12-step program of AA know that step two is the higher power step. Well, I'd like to introduce you to your higher power today. His name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is that power that you can plug into because he knows about your situation and he cares. And the best news of all is that he's got the power to change it. And listen, God can change your situation. That's the good news. God can change me and my situation. And sometimes he changes me and sometimes he changes the situation. Sometimes he changes both, but he's waiting on you to act. And he's got the power. Notice what Paul says. I will pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe in him. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you ever find yourself paralyzed by procrastination? Yeah, I know I need to do this. I just can't get started. Right? Yeah, yeah, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. You know, boys, clean your room. Yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. You ever feel maybe in your life you just can't get on top of things? Well, God says, I got the power. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, think about it, he can raise a dead relationship. He can raise a person back to health. He can set you free from addiction. He can help you close the door on the past so those memories stop haunting you. If you trust him. Luke 18, it says, what's impossible with me is possible with God. The Bible says that there is nothing too hard 
for God. And you say, well, you don't understand my situation. I've tried to change, but I can't. Listen, nothing is impossible with God. I've tried to change, but I can't. Nothing is impossible with God. And that situation that seems hopeless isn't. You know, I can give you a hundred examples of people in this community who were in impossible situations and God began to turn them around. And I can give you examples of people you thought that never in a million years would they change, but they did because the power of God. This week, I've asked somebody in our church family to share their story. And you need to listen to just how God's power helped them in this second step. Watch this video. I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, as a child, I really made my faith my own. Um, people made fun of me. They called me the community Bible thumper, but it didn't bother me. Um, as soon as I became a teenager, I grew, I grew curious as to like what life was like outside of God. And, and I asked uh, my parents a lot of questions, like about sex, drugs, you know, just anything that I didn't know about. And uh, they were very close-minded. Um, I was not allowed to ask these questions. These things were taboo. Um, <clears throat> basically, anything outside of what I learned at church, I didn't need to know about. I don't think that I ever recognized how powerful God was until I saw how powerful the devil was. So I was in and out of the house a lot. Um, you know, I'd stay out if I knew I was going to get grounded a little bit later or for a couple nights. And eventually, my parents left a backpack on the stairs, and so that was it. So at 14 years old, I was completely on my own. Um, I had to drop out of school at 15 and get a full-time job to pay rent at my first apartment. I had to grow up fast. Um, the streets basically raised me for the first couple of years on my own. Uh, life was all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I moved from apartment to apartment, job to job, city to city, province to province, trying to find myself, make sense of life, escape feelings. In the first five years on my own, I lived out of boxes, a total of 38 places and not a single one to call home. I fell deeper into a pit of depression and deeper into a bottomless pit of addictions. I uh, used anything that I could that I thought would make me feel better about who I was, but sex, drugs, and VLTs never quite did the trick. Uh, in all the years that I was uh, a non-Christian, I never denied God's existence. And there were times over the years where I was in major crisis and I would call out to God. But anytime I picked up the Bible, it doesn't matter where I opened the page to, uh, it always led me to sex. God, like people say, oh, come as you are. But specifically for me, God was saying, give me, like, give up sex and I'll start to make changes in your life. And I was never willing, I knew what he wanted from me, but I was never willing to make those changes and, you know, compromise. Okay, God, like I'll change my life, but I still want to have this in my life. And that wasn't what the scriptures were leading me to saying that was okay. So I never asked anything from God because I knew what he expected from me if he was going to help me. And so I just always closed the Bible and walked away from that and figured it out on my own, you know? Uh, which never got me far. <laughs> I got to a point in my life where I was so depressed uh, that I literally felt nothing. Like it was probably the scariest thing in the world is feeling nothing. And I couldn't bear it anymore. And I went through about a month of uh, 
of wanting to die and like actually really wanting to die. The night that I planned to take my own life, I was still up doing drugs the night before, it was 10 o'clock in the morning. And I was like, this is it, I'm done. I can't even explain the way that I felt inside. I never felt it before, just, just such emptiness and so much loss and hopelessness. And uh, that's when a little voice said, try me one last time. And I said, if that is you, God, then you need to talk now because I'm done. Like I, I'm done. And so I picked up a Bible and I was still snorting lines, reading the Bible, picked it up. And the very first thing I read was Ecclesiastes 5.15. And it says, uh, those who live only for wealth come to the end of their lives as naked and empty handed as on the day they were born. And there I was getting naked, chasing money, yet empty handed because of addictions, gambling, and depression. So I uh, continue to read. When I read, I just kind of flip through, just kind of flipping through the Bible as I go. And uh, so I thought to myself, okay, like I'll quit dancing and I'll go back to getting a bartending or waitressing job. And the next verse that I read was John 11, 9. And it says, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. So I knew what this meant specifically for me. I knew that I couldn't work an evening job without messing up. If I couldn't work in the nightclub industry without, you know, and stay and be able to even change my life. So I'm sitting there literally like kind of arguing with God, questioning him like while I'm reading, like what am I supposed to do then? I can't, like I wouldn't be able to afford to work just a minimum wage day job, you know, like how am I going to pay my bills? What am I going to do? How am I going to survive? And literally the verse, uh, the next verse that I read, basically what he said was, I already know your needs and I'm going to meet them as long as you make my kingdom your primary concern. So don't focus on the verse just kind of said, you know, don't focus on what, which, you know, how you're going to make your money. It was like, focus on me and I'll make sure that everything's taken care of. I know what you need. And so I literally just said, okay, I'm going to try this. So instead of taking my life that night, I gave my life away. Like I gave my life to Jesus. I realized that all those things that I was holding on to were such, you know, a small, small sacrifice to what I would have to be freed from. So I gave him everything. I said, you know, if I have nothing left to lose. So if you say this is going to work, um, then I'm, I'll, uh, it's serious. Like my, my life is serious? I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know how to like, basically I just give my life to God. All my addictions were gone except for smoking that day. Like everything was taken from me. And I had tried so hard to get free them from addictions. Like I had tried to get off of the cocaine. I had tried to get off of the Percocets, off of the Oxys, off of the morphine, off of the gambling. I had tried to quit gambling. I had people try to help me quit gambling. I couldn't stop. I couldn't do anything on my own. And with like that night, like that, it was gone. Everything except smoking. So. I didn't have any money, I didn't have a job, um, and things were just like literally just exactly what I needed and exactly what I needed. It was just literally called, you know, people would call me and be like, hey, I have this for you. And I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> or, um, yeah, just all of a sudden everything that I needed, like it didn't have to worry because God was just laying it in front of me. And it was just so crazy and I did record like every single you know, um, miracle that happened. This is, Jesus changed my life.
longer you postpone your pain, the further freedom and recovery gets away. The longer you deny it, the postpone it, say it's no problem, it's not a big issue, I can deal with it, I can handle it, the fewer days you have on this earth being all God meant for you to be. And some people, when they have pain that is intense because of, of some present problem, they get stuck in the past instead of, of dealing with the current problem and focus all their life on the past. You know, people get analysis, paralysis. It's like driving a car and looking in the rearview mirror all the time. And that rearview mirror is helpful when you drive because it gives you perspective. And looking at your past does give you perspective. But if you only look at your past, you don't get into the present. Can you imagine driving your car with the rearview mirror that was bigger than your windshield? Because a lot of people are like that. They're stuck in the past. They can't get on with the present. And whatever you focus on tends to repeat itself. And you just keep living in the past. And you're always repeating it. And remember, you know, last week we had to admit that we are powerless to change our past. It hurt. We still remember it. Yes, but all the resentment in the world isn't going to change your past. You are powerless to change it. Those are hard words, but those are words of reality. You know, this series is on spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is a process of expanding that windshield in front of you and shrinking the rearview mirror so that you can get on with the presence. And so how do you do that? You acknowledge that God exists. You realize uh, what he's like and that he cares and that God understands that he loves you. He wants to help you. I love that story. But I need to say it's just not enough just to believe in God. Most of you believe in God, but that hasn't wiped away the hurt. And you've, you have to plug in to the power. And that's more than just believing. You know, I believe in God. Yeah, yeah, great, awesome. So does the devil, you know. You got to plug into the power. And here's what God has to offer, Philippians 2, for God's at work within you, giving the will and the power to achieve his purposes. You know, as God says, your willpower on your own is not enough. Good intentions are not enough. What you need, and this is God talking, is my willpower, my power to help you change, and I will give you that willpower. And so you say, well, I don't even know if I want to change. I'm, I'm scared to death of change, because a lot of us are. Maybe you need to be like the person in our story. God, I'm willing to be made willing. She didn't know what she was doing, but she knew she had to change. And you probably won't until the pain exceeds your fear of change, but you have the opportunity to move forward. God, make me willing to be willing to change. I think when we come to that point, then he'll give you the will and the power to plug into him. That's what you just heard in her story. And what happens when I open my life up to God's power, when I ask God to put the spirit of Jesus Christ in my life, what, what does he do? Does he turn me into some sort of religious nut? You know, Because that's what a lot of us are afraid of. 
And the Bible tells us exactly what happens when we invite God's spirit into our lives, that the spirit that God gives us fills us with power and love and self-control. And that's what I want in my life. And first, I, I want power in my life, and I want to break habits that maybe I can't break, and I want to power to do the things that I know are right to do, but I can't seem to do them on, on my own. And I want power to break free from the past and let maybe let those memories go. Or you want power to get on with the kind of life that God wants you to live. Then, 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 then you want to love and you want to love with a real love and not a fake love. And I want to be maybe the, able to be, to love people and have them love me and let go all of the hurt so I don't build up all these walls and have this fake intimacy, but have genuine intimacy because I'm not afraid of really loving. I'm not afraid of really being loved. Plugging into the power. And that's the kind of power and love that God gives. It says self-control. Obviously, we all want that. You want that. You're not really in control until Christ takes control of your life. And, and the master masters the circumstances of your life. And then you understand what it means to get it all together for the first time in your life because you're not trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. In power and love and self-control. There's a principle in, in the universe, and this may sound real simple, but it's actually very profound. Things work best when plugged in. TVs, right? You plug them in. Your, your computers, your your blenders, your radios, your whatever, your alarm clocks, things work best when they're plugged in. And then God meant for you and me to be plugged into him because that's how we're created. That's how we're made. How do you plug into God's power? Well, it's actually quite simple. It's believe and receive. I believe that many of our Christians believe in God, but we never receive God. We're afraid. And we need to believe that God exists. We need to believe that he does know and care and have the power to help us. And then we need to receive him in our life. And that's that surrender part that many of us struggle with. Or we just simply say, Jesus Christ, put your spirit in me. Well, we're afraid of being nuts, right? We're afraid of what people are going to say and think. Well, I want to teach you a new four-letter word today. <clears throat> I want to challenge you to use this four-letter word. Because it takes courage to say this four-letter word, especially in public. As Christians, you know, people got all their acts together. The four-letter word is help. I need help. And maybe that's you this morning. God, I need your help in my life. And listen, people, the door to freedom, the door to recovery is not easy. It, it means facing up to some real problems that maybe you haven't dealt with or wanted to deal with. It means taking some risks. It means uh, being honest and trusting God. But when you take the second step, all of a sudden, this thing of recovery, this thing of freedom is simply no matter, uh, uh, it's no longer simply a matter of, of, of willpower. God says that he's going to be with us. Isaiah 43 says, when you go through deep waters and great troubles, I will be with you. You won't drown. When you walk through the fires of oppression, you won't be burned up. God says, I'll be with you today. I'll be with you this week, next week, month, year. As you face those issues that you've been afraid to face in your life, I will be with you all the time. So where are you hurting this morning? Are you going through some deep waters? 
Do you feel like you're going under for the last time? Are you going through the fire right now and, and the heat's on in your life, but you're trying to compose it and keep it all together for everybody else around you? You know, maybe you think that you're going to get burned up or burned out. You know, do you feel like you're stuck in a rut? Well, then listen. I think you have to be like the person who just shared her story. Where you, you can't get the power to change on your own. You feel powerless. And I love how she said, you know, I, I always believed. You know, there was always this awareness of this higher power. But it wasn't until she plugged into who it was, which was Jesus Christ, that things changed. The name above all names. And I, I invite you today to open your heart and your life to him. I invite you to take that second step. And I leave it there. Let's pray. I invite you to stand with me as we do this. Our prayer team is moving towards the crosses again. They're going to be available to pray with you. I don't always do this, but I'm going to do it today. And I'd appreciate that you would respect others around you. But I'm just going to simply ask this question with nobody looking around. You're going, Jerry, you're, you're ringing my bell here as you're speaking, and I just, I just need you to pray for me. I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up and down real quickly, if that is you. Yep, 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 I see it. Okay, a bunch of hands have gone up. Our prayer team's at the crosses. You put your hands up and you're going, I need prayer. I want to really encourage you to go to our prayer team. I don't, if maybe it's accepting Jesus as your Savior. You know, the young lady in the video did it in her own home. You can do that here before you leave. You just go, these people love to pray with you. Maybe you just need some moral support and spiritual encouragement before you go. Go to these people. I'm going to pray right now. Maybe you're feeling impressed. You want to step out and just move to the sides for whatever reason and have those people pray with you. Please do that. But loving Father, we surrender to you today with all our hearts and souls. So please come into our hearts in a deeper way. Open the secret places of our heart to you. And maybe we'd be able to do that and say, come on in. May we be able to say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my whole life, and I believe in you and receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I hold nothing back. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd bring us into a deeper conversation to the person of Jesus and a deeper conversion into the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I stand before you to surrender you my health, my family, my resources, my occupation. My skills, my relationships, my time management, my successes, my failures. Lord, we release it and let it go. 
And then surrendering my understanding of how things ought to be, my choices, my will, I surrender to you the promises I have kept and the promises I have failed to keep. God, I surrender my weaknesses and strengths to you. I surrender my emotions, my fears, my insecurities, my everything. Lord, I surrender my entire life to you. The past, the present, and now the future. And God, in sickness and in health and life and in death, we belong to you. God, take take and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, my entire will, all that I have and possess. You have given it all to me, and to you, O God, I return it. Because it's all yours. And dispose of it wholly according to your will. Give me your love, your grace, for this is sufficient for me. If you have no other words other than going, yeah, what he said, pray that to God. Next week, nine easy words. Bring yourself, bring a friend. In ancient time, the one who blessed extended the hand for the blessing. Those received the blessing did likewise. Here's your blessing from 1 Thessalonians 5. It says, be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. It says, thank God no matter what happens. And this is the way God wants you who belong to Jesus Christ to live. Soul Sanctuary, don't suppress the spirit. Don't stifle those who have a word from the master. On the other hand, don't be gullible. Check out everything and keep only what's good. Throw out anything tainted with evil. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. And the one who called you is completely dependable, and if he said it, he'll do it. And the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you as you go. Peace be with you. Amen. See you next week.